Hello, hello. My name is Jess, and this is Patient POV. And today we get to hear from Sophie, and we talk about um, specifically her endometriosis. And we also jump into some um, health inequities and also like the challenges of getting diagnosed with endometriosis, as well as her struggles with getting diagnosed. Um, she also talks about some good websites that you could visit um, to get some really good information as well. And so just a reminder that that's all linked in the bio below um, in the description. Um, and so if you want to refer to any of that or you want to kind of see some highlights of the podcast and um, like some good things that were said, I try to pull out a few things um, that you can take with you as some um, applicable um, usable notes from it, the podcast episode. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm so excited for you to listen to her, um, which will be in just a minute. As always, uh, please feel free to subscribe. Um, there's typically a question like, what did you think of this episode? Or I think last week's, um, had a question of, is this something you've experienced as well? Or, oh no, I think, I think last week's question was about um, how to support our friends with chronic illnesses or disabilities. And so it, it gave you an opportunity to be able to give your feedback. Um, so if anybody has uh, anything else they want to share, they can go back to last week's episode, which was episode 16, I want to say. Oh, no, 17, episode 17. So if you want to answer that question there. Um, and then this week, um, there'll be another question that you can respond to if you want, or there might be a poll. Um, so those are some fun things you can do. If you want to follow me on um, Instagram, you can find me at uh, J-E-S-S -S underscore and underscore elda which is e-l-d-a so jess underscore and underscore elda um and yeah so that's that now um as i'm trying to have the intro not just me talking about nothing um or just an overview um i wanted to also include a little bit about either me or a question or a story or something like that and i want you guys to have the opportunity to be able to join in on this part of the intro and so um you can find a link at my bio of my instagram account and um you can also um fill out the form and your thoughts, questions, stories um, might get included in this intro part of it. Um, but for today, what I wanted to do was um, I actually found something on my pictures um, and I wanted to share it with you guys. And so I was, <laughs> don't know why I did this, um, but I ended up going through Snapchat memories and I found a picture from 20... 18, I think it was, and uh, 2018, 2019, something like that. And it was a picture of a piece of paper that I had wrote. And at that point, I wasn't diagnosed with anything. And it had simply said uh, something along the lines of um, get up early in the morning, get up on time, um, because you are going to make mom late, and she's going to be sad and and not that she was actually mad but you know a kid not getting out of the house on time can sometimes be annoying when you don't know why they're doing it you're just thinking it's teenage things and um and i and i said um 
something along the lines of stop being lazy and just get up out of bed. And so I reflect on that now and I feel sad for my younger self because I called myself lazy and I said, I don't know why I can't just get out of bed. Like, I I don't know why I'm just blah, 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 fill in the blank. I'm just lazy. I'm just um, not wanting to. I'm just whatever it may be. And I, I just was reflecting on that and, and I showed it to my family and they kind of laughed and were like, haha, yeah, like you sometimes do take a while to get out the door. But then I was really reflecting on it and I was like, that's kind of sad that like I felt like I was just, insert description there, like lazy as I had written it on this note, when in fact I just was undiagnosed. And I was telling myself all these things because I wasn't acknowledging the feelings that I was feeling. And I was gaslighting myself at that point as well, saying that this is normal. This is all in my head. I'm just blah, blah, blah. And so that's something we also talk about in this episode about how medical trauma in particular can make you feel like you are, or medical gaslighting in particular can make you feel like your feelings are not valid and that it's all in your head. And so this is also just an important reminder that it it isn't always just in your head and you need to trust your body even when you feel like you can't, which is really hard. Um, but this is just some words of encouragement if you are listening and you are feeling like you can't trust your body, that you need to try to do an internal um, assessment of your body and decide what is going on and go based on that because you can only work with the information you're given and if your information you're given is from your body saying this hurts you have to trust your body um i think trust is a very large thing that needs to be learned about how or i guess it would have to be relearned i think and specifically about your body and trusting yourself and believing in yourself and i i think that's an interesting um psychological point of chronic illness that um definitely needs to I think somebody should do a research project on that or something like that um but yeah that's the story I wanted to share with you guys today like I said please feel free to subscribe but I'm really excited for you to get to listen to Sophie thank you guys so much and I hope you have a great week ahead Hello, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, thank you. Do you want to just good. jump right on in and, and give us an introduction on who you are and kind of your health journey, background, what's going on with you? Yeah, sure. So I'm Sophie. Um, I have endometriosis amongst a whole bunch of other things that have sort of piled up over the years. Um, I was diagnosed with endo back in 2020, towards the start of 2020. And Pretty soon after that diagnosis, I started up an Instagram account and I started sharing my journey, sharing my feelings, all that sort of thing. Because I felt really let down by the healthcare system and my experiences and I felt super alone. And it was initially just a way for me to process what I had been through and what I was experiencing. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, we'll get into that in just a second. Mm -hmm. uh, but as I try to ask all the guests who come on, is there mm -hmm. any 
TV shows, movies, or books that you're currently watching or reading that has nothing to do with, it doesn't have to do with um, chronic health, but what are you into right now? <laughs> you know what, guilty pleasure. I'm sort of a bit ashamed to admit this, but um, Love Island is on at the moment in the UK. Um, <laughs> and I have been watching that every night. I can't help myself. I know it's trashy telly, but sometimes it's good to just watch something that requires like no brain power. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> I love that. That's great. <laughs> um. Okay, well, let's just jump right into what we were talking about here yeah. is um, you were mentioning how you felt kind of let down by the healthcare system. Um, can mm -hmm. you jump into a little bit on, on what made you feel let down or um, kind mm -hmm. of why, why you say that those types of things? Yeah. 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 Well, before I became poorly, which happened in 2019, I hadn't really like, I'd only been to the hospital for like a broken ankle or like acute things that just happen in life sometimes I had never experienced the medical system as I now have um which was for me a year of constant like gaslighting constantly being told that my pain and my symptoms were in my head um at one point I was left collapsed in a bathroom calling for help for like half an hour an hour and everyone decided to ignore me I've had nurses laugh about why I was in hospital and um, saying I just had a period and how pathetic that is and that sort of thing um it was just like a year of like um pretty much like hell where I became convinced that all my suffering all my pain that turned out to be endo uh, I was just making it up or I was too sensitive um and I don't think I had a single positive experience of asking for help which really sucks right because you go into hospital you're super vulnerable um and then to be received that way was just like mind boggling to me no for sure that's I'm really sorry to hear that that happened and it's always unfortunate when people don't have positive experiences within the hospitals when you're trying to get help um and yeah. so what if I, I know you've done a little bit of research into endometriosis and um why it's so mm -hmm. hard to get diagnosed and and can you dive into that of like what makes endometriosis so hard to diagnose? Yeah, I think, so I think endometriosis primarily affects women. It does, but primarily women. And women's women's health historically has been like majorly neglected. And I think that's like a continuation of what we're seeing right now. So people assume that because one of the symptoms of endometriosis is like excruciating period pains, that endometriosis is just a period or it's just normal period pain which doesn't really exist like periods shouldn't be excruciating, and if they are there's usually something going on but um it's this real dismissal in my experience at least and I know a lot of other people's of being like like a little girl who can't cope with pain it's that sort of just that belittling of our symptoms and women just aren't taken as seriously as men even when they present in a &E, for example studies have shown that they're given men are given more pain relief than women are even if they're presenting saying they have the same level of pain we're just not taken that seriously and that is something that really needs to change mm -hmm, for sure for sure yeah and um and then I know you wrote an article and um, mm -hmm. I was kind of reading up on some things that you've worked oh. on and um you were mentioning something about funding for research is, is that something that you were yeah. writing about so this is crazy I hadn't really massively looked into it before I sort of 
right you can guess that there's probably not much given what people with endometriosis generally experience but when i looked into like the numbers i can't remember them off the top of my head but they are minuscule when you look at the grand scheme of things endometriosis and women's health generally is given such a tiny amount of funding for research for awareness projects for all these different things and it's just shocking because endo affects one in ten it's mm. not rare like it's super common um but it just doesn't seem to get the attention of the people that need to be putting money where their mouths are basically <laughs> yeah and I think in the in the article that you wrote um you mm. had mentioned that one in ten were diagnosed with endometriosis and one in ten mm. are diagnosed with diabetes yeah in the retrospective populations yeah right and then you were mentioning that it was like a dollar and some sense was for endometriosis for research and it was like 40 some dollars for yeah. diabetes per person per person I think it was person yeah, it yeah. Was per person it's it's like ridiculous yeah um and again it's just this narrative that endo like isn't that severe or it's just a period or I don't know it's so bizarre to me because the first-hand experience and also seeing people in the endo community it can have such a devastating impact on people's lives and that's just not recognized enough mm -hmm. and so if you were in this well, I mean you were in this position but mm -hmm. if you were talking to somebody who's currently in that position of they think something is more wrong than just a regular period and they're struggling to get a diagnosis because they're being told like stop being so dramatic or overreacting what would you say to them to either tell them to keep going or when to give up or, or what would you tell them so it's tough um I think I would always encourage people to get second opinion a third opinion a fourth opinion like sometimes you have to it sounds bad but you essentially have to shop around for like a doctor who actually listens to you mm. oftentimes the first or the second doctor that you speak with is belittling and is dismissive but there are some good doctors out there. Like, it's not always all bad. There are people who do listen and who are aware of endo. Um, so you really just have to try and keep that fight in you. And if if you're struggling with that, take someone with you who is good in those sort of situations. Like, I always have my mum with me because she's very, like, to the point and forceful. And <laughs> I wasn't like that initially. So if you've got someone around you like that, take them with you because it definitely helps. <laughs> No, for sure. And so just for context for everyone who's listening, whereabouts in the world are you located? Uh, yeah, I'm in England. Um, in I know you're in Canada, aren't you? But yeah, we're in England here. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. And so then um, how would you say your experience navigating the England healthcare system, the UK <laughs> healthcare system, I guess it yeah. would be? <laughs> how is, yeah, how the is NHS. navigating that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh it's so difficult so there aren't many like specialists in the world for conditions like endo anyway um and in the UK we have in the NHS which is like a free healthcare system we're very fortunate that we have that um there are a few specialist centers spread across the country but getting to see any of the consultants there is like nearly impossible for a lot of people so like going to the GP and asking them to refer you on you in my experience anyway is like talking to a brick wall like they really are difficult to get through to um and it just feels like there's so many hoops that you have to jump through in order to get someone who knows what they're talking about 
which makes the process of like diagnosis and all that sort of thing and treatment makes it super long and whilst you're waiting for that to happen and you're being met with this dismissal your endo is progressing and you're getting more and more unwell and then it becomes more and more difficult to fight your corner and advocate for yourself so it's like a cycle of just really difficult emotional appointments no for sure and so just Mm -hmm. to confirm um I know in the States, you can yeah. request a particular doctor and you don't really need, I, I've heard some situations where you're like, you don't really need to be referred for an appointment. Really? Yeah. And then in Canada, I think it sounds similar to what you're saying is like, you need to be yeah. referred from your GP to the specialist. Yeah. Is that the same what you're, you're mentioning there? Yeah, that's it. Unless you've got private healthcare, then that's a bit different. But for most people who don't have loads of money that's the process that you'd go through yeah (laughs) yeah okay okay very interesting um and so then in your personal day-to-day life what would be Mm. some of the challenges that you face and how do you cope with them it depends I guess because I don't have the same level of pain every single day but take me like on a bad day say so there's so much that I can't do like really basic things I can't get dressed a lot of the time I can't make myself food which is where my partner comes in very handy he'll bring me all the snacks which is great but um it's just simple things when you're in such an extreme level of pain you're bed bound and it's really difficult emotionally as well like not always being able to socialize as much I find that quite difficult um and that's, I think, what can make it a bit of a lonely condition is not only feeling like no one believes you, but also you're literally isolated because a lot of the time you're just unwell and you're in the house or you're in bed. Um, and that is like a big barrier for me, at least. It's something I find really difficult. I like talking. I like being social. Um, and that's tough. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, we do love a good support system. So that's awesome. Yes, we do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, And then you were mentioning... um. Some of those challenges do you have have you found mm. any coping strategies in particular for any of the issues you mentioned i think like you said just now a support system makes the world of difference um mm. i don't know what i do with that half. um so that is like huge we recently got a dog a puppy and oh my goodness that makes a big difference emotionally because you feel less lonely and there's like there's a reason to like it might sound a bit miserable like you've got a reason to get up and like try and go out for a walk even if maybe you're not feeling your best like Mm -hmm. there's more sort of purpose to your day especially if you can't work properly Mm -hmm. which is me in my case um it adds like just a bit more meaning and it makes things easier Mm -hmm. um other than that it's just coping with the pain different strategies for pain relief and all that stuff yeah, no, for sure. Um, we love dogs here. My dog is sleeping right beside me here. So when we're done recording, I'll show you her. <laughs> what kind of dog do you have? She's a cockapoo. She's eight months now. I oh, know. So what do you have? Um, a golden retriever. <laughs> I yeah. love them. Yeah. yeah. So fun. And so you were just mentioning about not have not being able to have like a traditional job, let's say of like a every single Monday through Friday, nine to five type of job. Um, what are yeah. you currently doing for your work? <laughs> um, I've just finished training to become a doula, yes. which yes, it's pretty exciting. <laughs> I can't wait. It's, thank you. It's something I've wanted to do for the longest time. It just took me a while to like, I think get the confidence to actually go for it and start. 
Um, and it's self-employed, which is amazing because it means that I'm my own boss. Like I can control how many people I take on at what times. If I'm not so well, I just won't take on as many families. Like it's got that freedom that means I can actually work because in a nine to five, if I'm being employed by someone else, I wouldn't last in a job like that because it's my health is unpredictable sometimes and I can be incapacitated like at really short notices and it, it I just heard sadly a lot of horror stories of people working in those sort of quote-unquote normal jobs mm-hmm. um, with employers and it's just something that I can't face <laughs> yeah and so um as a doula what would be mm-hmm. what's your job what would you be doing there yeah, so there's two types. So I've trained in both. So there's a birth doula, which is someone who supports people whilst they're pregnant and then is there for the actual birth of them. So it's not a medical professional, but it's someone who's got lots of knowledge around birth and who provides emotional support and practical support and can advocate for you, which is super important um, to have. And then there's a postnatal doula, which is someone who helps maybe come up with a postnatal plan and spends a certain amount of hours over the first few weeks with you after your baby's been born. And again, it's like practical support, emotional support, signposting for further help that you might need, that sort of thing. And I'm just, it's like a dream. I can't wait to start. That's amazing. Yeah. And so uh, do you have one side of that that you prefer or are you going to do both sides or? I'm going to do both. Um, I've sort of, so I've worked as a nanny and with babies, like young babies for a while before. Um, So with the postnatal side of things, I've not been specifically a postnatal doula, but I do have like very similar experience in that already. Um, The birth stuff is like completely new to me. Uh, But before I, so I studied psychology at uni and before I did that, I was torn between psychology and midwifery. So I've always like been interested in this and this feels like a perfect like marriage of those two things. No, for sure. And so how has your personal health journey um, impacted how you are, um, how you not treat your patients? Because uh, of course you're going to treat them all so well, um, but how, how has that impacted how you are going to work or how you approach yeah. situations, should I say? Yeah, I think there's a couple of ways. I think since I became unwell, I've definitely become more of an empathetic person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've always been like that, but it's like massively increased now. Um, and I think I'm more in tune with other people's feelings than I used to be, which comes in really handy in a job like that because so much of it is emotional support and just showing up and listening. Um, but on the other side of that as well, I have experience of the healthcare system and how that sometimes treats um, treats us. So I also have a lot of experience of advocating for myself and advocating for other people. And again, that comes in handy because um, there's so much that goes on in like maternal maternity and care and all that stuff. So I think that is a big thing. And perhaps also, I mean, I don't know this, but maybe for people who are disabled or who have chronic illnesses, it might be nice having someone who they know gets that mm-hmm. support them through the process because I think having someone who understands makes like a huge difference for sure for sure yeah mm. um and so then if we're jumping back into you in particular um yeah. if I don't know if you have a typical daily life but what would a day in the life of you look like oh gosh okay 
<laughs> I'm not sure I do have a typical day in the life because I'm also doing like a part-time remote content creating like job mm. um so get up 7 a.m nice and early with the dog <laughs> let her out give her a food and then I usually take her on if I'm doing well I'll take her on like a longish morning walk he is full of beans at the moment so I need to go out with her otherwise she's manic um yeah. <laughs> and then I just crack on with a little bit of work from home um I'm I'm pretty much always home I don't really at the moment I'm not really leaving the house for my work stuff it's either my Instagram that I'm doing or the other content work um and yeah I just spend as much time as possible with my dog and with my boyfriend um and I love to read so a lot of my days involve reading and writing and things like that um and then just trying to function some days a typical day looks like me just being in bed all day and like rolling around in pain um it really differs <laughs> yeah no for sure um I remember my dog at eight months old and that's a ball of energy <laughs> so, so much the teenage years oh I yeah out of nowhere like she used to listen quite a lot and suddenly she's like <laughs> nope I don't want to hear you and she's like does her own thing just completely ignores me <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody says they didn't like the puppy phase. I loved the puppy phase. The teenage phase was the one I was like, oh, oh, no. Yeah. yeah. Too funny. Um, and so you were mentioning before how um, the the year in particular before your diagnosis, when you were getting very much gaslit by doctors, um, how did that year um, or that time period impact your mental health and how you are now approaching situations? Uh, yeah, it's definitely had a long lasting impact. I mean, to this day, even if I have like just a blood test or a GP appointment that's completely separate from like my normal health issues, um, I will like shake. I feel really sick. Like I really can't deal with the anxiety that I get from these, just from speaking to like a medical professional. Um, I I mean, the, the gaslighting got so bad that I, I wouldn't have believed it anyone really if they tried to like tell me that it was endometriosis because I had a surgery actually when I've like sort of sort of a couple of months into my symptoms starting I had a laparoscopy not with a specialist um and they said they didn't find anything and then my symptoms continued and I was still really unwell but I was completely convinced I was making it all up and that somehow my brain was like it was psychosomatic mm-hmm. um and when they, when I had my second surgery, and I woke up and they told me they found endo, the first thing I said to my mum and my boyfriend was, I'm not crazy because I, I was completely convinced that I'd like lost my mind and that I was making all these things up without realising. Um, and it's a really hard place to be when you feel like you can't trust yourself. Mm. Um, and that's something that's lingered for a long time. I'm definitely better than I used to be in terms of like, now if I feel a symptom, I will tell them, this is what I'm feeling. I'm certain that it's this, like you have to take me seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't mean that like, I suppose the, the medical trauma doesn't still have an impact because like I said, my body will physically shake um, because it's so stressful to me. No, for sure. And it's understandable. Mm-hmm. It's um, That is one thing that I find really surprising and at the Mm -hmm. same time very 
crazy um, is the fact that how many people, especially with people with endometriosis, have been gaslit and mistreated by the healthcare system to the point where they are the ones who are consistently needing medical attention or going to see doctors, but they hate it the most. And so it's yeah. it's very backwards, in my opinion. <laughs> it's so backwards. I actually, I put a post on my story the other day about that there's this like complex that so many of us have about going to A&E, so to emergency. Um, sometimes the pain is so severe that like you actually, like I've thought this, like I thought I'm going to have a seizure and die. Like this is it. This is how it ends. Even after I got my diagnosis and I knew what it was, I've still thought that multiple times. Um, and sometimes we can't differentiate. So that pain might actually be like a twisted ovary or it might be kidney stones or it might be something else that really does need medical attention but there's this reluctance to go and get help even in those emergency situations because you just expect to be meted with resistance mm. um and you feel like oh, it's pointless no one's going to take me seriously and that can lead to really like dangerous situations because sometimes you really do need help when people don't go and get that help because they're afraid of what support or lack of support will be offered mm -hmm, for sure for sure mm -hmm. and so um in your entire journey of healthcare mm -hmm. and and all this have you found any resources or um anything that you are consistently using to help with either the pain or just with education or anything like that yeah there's a lot of really great charities that um I'll name drop a few for you. Please, yeah. <laughs> there's Endo South Coast, Endo Buddies. Um, I think there's one the Menstrual Health Project, which does more than just endometriosis, but they have like really good resources, especially for people who maybe don't have a diagnosis yet and are needing a bit of help like navigating that journey through the medical system. Um and I think just the online community generally. I mean, there's always good and bad to everything, especially in the online world. But generally speaking, it's been like a blanket. Like, it's so supportive. It's really nice to connect with people who understand. Um, and that is a massive help. And then physically, obviously, you've got medication that you speak with your doctor about and all that stuff. But I think things like heat massively underrated. Like, I'm attached. I've got an electric heat mat that is like my best friend I love it so much <laughs> that's constantly on me basically tens machines like there are other options other than just the medication that you can get that you can use alongside that do make a big difference you just got to research it yeah no for sure I'm hearing a lot about heat as well and so um that's a great recommendation for people to try for sure and then so good, uh, yeah. yeah and so what is um I know you're mentioning that you're doing a lot of online stuff. You started that when you started your health journey, shall we say. Um, what made you want to become a health advocate or um, have that online presence? Yeah. Initially, I, I think it was like a selfish thing in that I was just lost and lonely. And so I felt so like outraged at my experiences. and I needed an outlet for that. Um, and I figured if my experience has been this terrible there's probably people who have had similar experiences so let me just share it and see if anyone like says oh yeah I've had this too or this is my experience and then that like snowballed into something <laughs> bigger than I initially anticipated it would be um, and now 
I just have like a fire in my belly like I want everyone to know about it and know about the treatment that so many people receive and the lack of funding and all that stuff um and I just want to raise awareness because I'm just one person like I can't change everything but if I can make someone talk to their friends about it or their family about it and then someone else knows and then they speak to someone else that makes a difference like that makes a huge difference for sure for sure and so um as my last question for you today um is do you have any words of encouragement or advice for anyone who's either starting their health journey or right in the thick of it um for for them Mm. um I think I would tell them to reach out for support and if they don't have people physically like in their area around them to not be afraid of connecting with the online support that's available through charities but also just through um, content creators that are sharing their health journeys there's a lot of comfort that can be found in even just messaging people who understand and who share your experiences and who hold space for you to share your feelings um and I'll just tell them that they're not alone in that because it can be really lonely but you're not alone (laughs) thank you for that that's amazing yeah and where can everyone find you yeah um what am I I'm just trying to think what's that it's at sophielucy.sega on Instagram yeah (laughs) perfect amazing yeah and so on the show description notes um I will also tag you in there as well so people can find you nice and easily (laughs) yeah (laughs) wonderful great thank thank you so much for joining us I do appreciate you taking the time of course thank you for having me I love talking about it